This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. All right, welcome everybody. Welcome all our Torah Anytime uh, viewers. We're learning today for Fuashlema for Miriam Chaya Badwacha. We're also learning for Leilu Nishmat Chaim Ben Klonius Kalman. It was a, a you know, very uh, big Baal Chassid who passed away uh, last night and or yesterday and his funeral was, was uh, today. Um, so we're learning for his um, Leilu Nishmat and... and for uh, the Fuashma. Okay, so we are continuing uh, the story. This is part two of the story of Apurim. Um, again, uh, if anybody here didn't listen to it, I strongly recommend to listen to the first part um, because it's awesome, uh, if I may say so myself. So uh, the the a few things. First of all, I, originally I said it might be two classes. I decided I'm going to make it into three classes. One of the reasons is, I was like, you know what, maybe I'll, I'll shorten it. And I was like, you know what, I don't plan on doing this, you know, every single year. It's like a one-time, you know, that you get all the information. It's online. It's on tour anytime, so you always have it. So we're going to do the, we're going to give you the full picture. We're not going to cut it off. So it's going to be in three classes, Bezrat Hashem. Hopefully you have another Thursday before. But yeah, oh, there's plenty of them. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Ah, thank you very much. Amen. Okay, so... Um, that is that announcement. There's also <clears throat> I have to I have to bring up. There was um, last time that I, I was here. I it might have been you. I don't remember who, but somebody mentioned when I when I when I said the the date of the destruction of the first Beit Hamikdash. I said it was four four twenty three, and and was it you who said <laughs> five eighty six? Okay, so I looked it up, and you are right. There is something five eighty six, and uh, so let me explain to you why I d- don't. So if you look in um, in history in general, so there is uh, Jewish historians and there is non Jewish yeah. historians. So according to the non Jewish historians, the destruction of the temple was five hundred and eighty six, if I'm not mistaken, BCE, which is like you said. Uh, the reason why I wasn't familiar with that is that I usually don't take my Jewish history from non-Jewish people, so I, that completely, you know, went over my head. But when I did look into it, it turns out that there's a there's a machloka, there's a disagreement. The Jewish historians say that it happened on 423, and obviously we're going to go with the Jewish historians um, because it is Jewish history. Uh, and um, and the the secular, the, the, not the secular, the non-Jewish historians bring it down to to uh, 586. So I also did some research, uh, you know, further research about it. We're not going to go into much into it, but I, I looked into the, there's a very noted Jewish historian by the name of Rabbi Beryl Wine. He's uh, one of the most famous Jewish historians around. Um, and uh, so he also brings him down in his book Echoes of Glory. If you look in the in the beginning over there, I don't recall the page. I think it was page X, if I'm not mistaken. But he brings it down over there. This this discrepancy, and he brings also down sources. If you want to realize, if you want to see, there's 160 years, 66 years discrepancy. So what's going on here? How can we mess up that bad? And he brings down some sources where you could look into more further reading for if you want to know why there is a discrepancy. That's not the 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 focus of tonight's lecture. But I uh, just wanted to bring that up that it is true. 586 does exist, but it's according to the non. Jewish 423 is the Jewish um, is the Jewish sources. Okay, now that we cleared up that, now we can go on and continue with uh, the second part of the story, just to give a little bit of where we left off, a little bit on like you know previously on the story of Esther. So there, um, we we mentioned that Esther, out of all of the 127 women that came down to compete, if I may use that word, to become the next queen, she is the one that won the crown, and she was the one who became queen. And uh, they made a party, and uh, right shortly after that, Mordechai guy got uh, promoted from being a advisor. He went into one of, one of the high advisors sitting at the king's gate. 
Additionally, there was an assassination attempt by Bixon and Saresh by, uh, to assassinate, um, Achashreosh. They, uh, got caught and, um, Esther put it in the books that it was in the name of Mordechai. Even, but Achashreosh never knew it was Mordechai. He thought it was Esther the whole time. Aman, at this point in time, um, Achashreosh had a very, very, um, conflicting emotions about him because at one point he was very upset at Haman that because of him, he had to kill his wife. His, his first wife, Vashti. At the other, on the other hand, he got something better. He upgraded. He got Estelle. So he's like, at one hand, you know, I'm kind of happy that it happened. But at the other hand, I'm like, you know, he's a jerk. Yeah, yeah, I don't like it. That what he, with the things that he made me do. I, you know, I don't like it. So, so he still, so he had this like conflicting thing. So he still had the plan of raising him up only, uh, only in the future to bring him down. So Haman originally was the, we spoke about that there were seven advisors. Haman was a junior member. He was the lowest member. After, uh, this whole ordeal that Esther got, you know, that he got, that he got Esther, he made, he promoted him to the top one. So Haman went from the bottom to the top in the advisor, uh, rank. Now, the problem with this was, is that uh, Haman's origins. Haman's origin wasn't ever, you know, he didn't start off as a political figure. He was actually a uh, barber and a bathhouse attendant. So he went from being, you know, in that level to all of a sudden second to the king, like the highest advisor. So the problem with that is, is that no one's going to honor him. They'll be like, you know, why would we honor you? You know, you know, a few years ago you were giving me haircuts and, you know, opening the bath door. You know, who knows, you know, what, what he was doing. So uh, the king made a declaration. He made a decree that whoever sees Haman has to bow down to him. Because that way, if you don't honor the king's advisors, then in, in a sense, you're not honoring the king himself. But if I make sure that everybody has to honor the, you know, Haman, in a sense, they're honoring the kingdom as well. <coughs> you know, it's interesting. I'm not sure where his origin was. He's Persian. Could be. Could be. I'm not sure. It would make sense that Persian. I, I would, if I were to, yeah, I'll probably say Persian. Became very rich, richer than. Uh, yeah. Uh, not. Uh, well, yeah. yeah okay. I also heard a case like where he was supposed to be Mordechai's slave because Mordechai. Oh, we'll get to that. Spoiler alert. All right. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get. We're going to speak that very shortly. So, um, so the 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 king. Um, gave these orders to bow down. Now, the, the, the issue that, that Mordechai particularly had about this is that Haman used to wear an idol around his neck. And one of the reasons he wore an idol around his neck is that he felt that his great success was in thanks and due to that idol. So while, you know, you know, and, and, and in essence, when people were bowing down to, the, to him, he was really saying, you know, you're giving honor to my idol because in that merit I became who I became and I am where I am. So, the issue with that is, is also in the Persian side, there was, they actually practiced freedom of religion back then. So it was freedom of religion, you're allowed to practice whatever that, whatever religion you wanted to, but now Haman is basically forcing everybody to sort of worship his idol. So Mordechai refused. He says he's not going to bow down. Everybody else bowed down to, um, to Haman and, you know, inadvertently to his idol as well. But Mordechai refused. So, you know, usually, if you have to get in this, like, awkward situation where you can't bow down to somebody who's a high political figure, you would try to avoid the person. You know, like, you see him coming, so you run in the back alley, you know, go the other way, make believe you don't see him. Mordechai played none of those games. Haman was walking down him. Mordechai just, you know, stared him down. And be like, I'm, and he showed him in his face, I'm not bowing down to you. There's no such thing of, you know, like, uh, and you'll soon see how, you know, the, the um, political correctness did not exist in the Torah. So... He, he, uh, he looked at him full in the face and refused. Now, Mordechai had a good reason to refuse this. One of the reasons is, is because he, uh, Haman was actually his slave. And this is the story that we're going to bring up. So, so many, uh, many years before, the, there was an Indian province that rebelled against Ahasuerus. I think it was in the second year of his reign, of Ahasuerus' reign. So Ahasuerus went and he sent two generals. One was Mordechai, one was Haman, each with 6,000 troops and with three years worth of provisions of supplies. So they go in, um, one was supposed 
to go from the east. Haman was supposed to go, and Haman was going to go from the west. Mordechai was going to go from the east, and we sort of basically like shut down the the whole rebellion from <coughs> from from surrounding it. So they went, and um, they they each separate on the ways, and each one one went to the west, one went to the east, and within a year, while they're still out in the field, Haman just like wasted all his supplies on his on his people, like like they had like parties, and they just abused it. Mordechai was very strict; he was like, no, no, no we have to have make sure this lasts for three years. After one year. Haman goes over to um, to Mordechai. He makes a trip around to the to the other side, and he says, "Listen, you got to help me out. It's been a year, and we're we're dry. We're, our supplies are done." He says, "You got. Yeah, I know you see you have a lot of supplies. You got to help me out. My men are starving." So Mordechai says, "Listen, I can't help you out. He says I have for enough for three years. If I give you, my men are going to be are going to be um, running short." So Haman started pleading and begging. He said, you got to help me out, brother. He's like, please, I'm begging you. You got to do something because if the king finds out that I wasted all the supplies within a year, he'll have my head. He'll kill me. So uh, Mordechai said, yeah, but uh, what am I supposed to do? They're going back and forth. He's begging and he's, uh, he's, and I finally, Mordechai said, you know what? Fine. I'll make you a deal. I will give you the supplies, but you have to pay me. So Mordechai, so Haman says, what am I going to pay you with? We have nothing out here. So he says, no, we're gonna, you're, you're going to pay me that you're going to be my slave. I'm going to buy you as you can't sell me anything. So you buy me as a slave. So Haman said, listen, you know, he's thought about it for a second. It's better to be a slave than to be killed. So he decided, fine, I'll be a slave. Uh, so they wanted to write a contract, but they couldn't write a contract. They didn't have any paper out there. So they took a uh, part of the metal. They used to wear armor in the army over there. So they took part of the the metal of the of the armor from the foot, and they carved out a contract on the armor. And Haman signed Mordechai signed, and they made a contract that that Haman is going to be a slave for Mordechai one day a week. And uh, now that all of a sudden you fast forward a few years later, where Haman is coming and everyone's bowing down to him, Mordechai made sure to wear the metal plate on his foot. You know the part where he is. So when Haman walked past by, he sort of like lifted a little bit and be like. <coughs> Uh, you know who's who's slave? I'm not gonna bail you. My slave. I own you. So this put this put Haman in a very tough situation because he couldn't go to Hashemiloch and say there's one guy now bowing down to me. He's dishonoring you because then it's gonna come out that what well, you know that oh because of that you know that uh, you know he squandered his uh, his all his resources. So this is why you you read the story of Purim and you're thinking about like okay you know Hashemiloch uh, made a decree. Everybody bow down. One person didn't do it. Just go tell Hashemiloch. Tell him he's gonna force him to. And the answer was he couldn't. He couldn't do it. So, um, uh, um, you know, all the king's servants, the, the, the high government officials, they also were nervous that Mordechai was not bowing down to it. They said, listen, it's going to affect us also. You're taking the whole ship down. He says, if you're not bowing down, they're going to think we're all in it. So he says, uh, Mordechai answers back, he says, well, I don't bow down to humans. I, don't, I only bow down only to God. So they answered him. They knew the Torah. They said, listen, you know, Jacob bowed down to Esau. He says, just like he did, you bow down to it. So he says, while it's true, Jacob did bow down to Esau. Esau never had a, a idol on him. And furthermore, I come from Benjamin. I come from the tribe of Benjamin. When Jacob bowed down to, with Esau, with all the other brothers, I didn't, my ancestor Benjamin never bowed down. This is why the, the place of the Betamigdash, the area of the Betamigdash is in the area of Benjamin. Because the place that everybody's gonna bow down to the one and only God, it goes only in the place where nobody else bowed down to anybody else. Which is Benjamin never bowed down to anybody else. Hence, his portion is the portion where everybody bows down, which is the Kodesh HaKadoshim. Okay, so um, Haman, you know, uh, you know, heard about this. You know, he got started getting under his skin that Mordechai is not bowing down to him. So he decided, you know, he's going to walk past by him deliberately, and like, you know, they're going to do like the stare down. And um, so he walks past by, and Mordechai steers him. He steers back at him. He's not bowing down. He does like you know a loop around, comes back again, and so he says, you know, let's play it nice. So Haman goes over to Mordechai and he says, uh, "Peace unto you." Mordechai replies to the wicked, "There are no peace." Right? You take the political correctness and you shove it out the door. And he, you know, he says it like it is. So, um, and at this occasion, while they're having this little discussion, <clears throat> Mordechai reminded him again about that slavery contract. 
So Haman was getting very, very, very furious. He thought, you know what, listen, maybe Mordechai is one of these, like, you know, like, <coughs> disgusting people who are always mean and is never nice to anybody. Maybe he's one of those. So he made a little investigation. He asked everybody who knew Mordechai, and everybody told him Mordechai, he's the nicest guy. He literally goes over to everybody, and he literally says, how are you? Even the poorest person or the richest man, it doesn't matter. He speaks to them both equally the same. So this made, um, this made uh, Haman very, very upset. And he decided that he has to kill, uh, he has to kill Mordechai. And then he started to think, he says, it's beneath my dignity. I'm a second to the king, I'm such a like to kill one person, it doesn't make sense. And he's starting to think, he's like, you know, Mordechai comes from the tribe of Benjamin, which, um, you know, and, and King Saul came from Benjamin. Uh, let me just give you a little, uh, it's good genealogy. So Mordechai was from the tribe of Benjamin, he was also a descendant of King Shaul. King Shaul was the one who was supposed to kill Amalek, which was Agag, and Haman was a, a, um, a descendant from ha- ha- Agag, which is, <laughs> Haman was Amalek. How did he know that? Haman ha- Agagi. How, no, how did he know Oh, it's a bit... It's a, yeah. What is that's How short of a line is that? Oh, whatever. I don't know the line, but they, they knew it. They, you know they, I mean? like, wasn't it like a thousand years between her? It was time between, but they knew it. It was, uh, it was uh, you know, they did... And not only that, Haman knew this. I'm doing, even Haman knew it. Haman... So 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 let's just be clear on the on the lineage. So you have... Um, let's start with Esav. You have Esav. Esav had a... Esav had a... Uh, a grandchild, Eliphaz, which comes from him, Amalek. Amalek came out Agag, and and from Agag came Haman. That's the lineage from, from Esav. Now you have, from the other side, so you have Jacob had Benjamin. Benjamin had, you know, through that lineage, you had King King Saul, and King Saul had, was a descendant of, uh, it came through, was Mordechai. Now, King Saul, if you take one step back a little bit, I hope you guys are still following, we should have brought that board again. So you have King Saul, and you have Agag, King Saul killed out the entire, the entire, uh, you know, Amalek tribe, except for, again, there's a whole story in that. He met, he just, Benjamin. Yeah, Benjamin. King Saul. Shaul. Shaul. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, the problem is, is when I, I speak in like the art scroll language, and then I speak in that, and then I mix it together, so it's like Saul. You know, there's so many, you know, I combine both of them, so it's like some Arab guy, you know. So, anyways, so, um, um, so, so, Haman now was saying, listen, his ancestor destroyed my ancestor. So now, I should not, you know what I should kill? I should kill this whole tribe. The whole tribe of Benjamin, I will hunt them down and I will kill all the tribes. All the oldest tribe of Benjamin. And then he's starting to think, he says, you know what? I'm Haman. You know, I am, you know, beneath my dignity just to kill one tribe. He says, you know what? I'm going to kill a tribe and I'm going to kill out all the Chachamim. Because what happens is if you kill out all the sages of the Jewish, uh, the Jewish sages, then there's not going to be too much longer until, you know, the Judaism is just going to disappear. And the Jews are going to assimilate, and if they assimilate, it's just enough, it's equal as if I, I kill them all. So, that's what he, that he decided that he was going to do. Then he started thinking again more, and he says, you know what, no. Nothing is going to work unless I do the final solution, which is to, to kill every man, woman, and child from the uh, tribe, from the, from the house of, uh, from uh, Judaism. And that's what he decided, that he is going to destroy the entire Jewish nation. He's going to murder and, and exterminate the entire Jewish nation. So, before he want, before he went and presented the, you know, the situation, he wanted to see if God's on his side, if he has the, the blessings. So he did a lottery. And this is what Purim is named after the pool, which is a lottery. So he made a lottery. He made actually two, well, it's actually going to be three lotteries. But the, the, the first lottery was he took dice, three dice, and he numbered them from one to six. But it was numbered in the Hebrew alphabet. Um, so it's alphabet, gimel, dal, hey, vav. And, uh, the way that he did it was each side was opposite. So he had one on one side of the die, and then on the other side of the die, he had six. I don't know if this is the common way the dies are now, it might be, it might not be. Then you had two on one side, and then five on the other side, and then you had three on one side, and four on the other side. So, and, and this he, he numbered. So he took the dice, you know, did it anyway, it was good luck charms, blowing in it, and then he rolls it. 
He rolls it. It comes out to Gimel, Gimel, Aleph. Oh, thank you very much. It comes out to Gimel, Gimel, Aleph. And he's thought about it, which is literally um, one, uh, three, three. So he thought about it. This is really good because this spells Agag, which is where I come from, Agag. And then he says, you know what? Wait, let's not jump the gun. Let's see what's on the other side of it. So opposite the, the, um, opposite the, uh, the, the Dalit was a Gimel. Opposite, sorry, opposite the Gimel was a Dalit. Opposite the Aleph was a Vav. Which means that it was Vav Dalit Dalit, which spells out David. So here it's working out really well. You have Agag falling out on the top. David falling down on the bottom. Haman's saying, God wants me to do this. Agag is going to come on top. David is going to fall on. I'm going to be successful in exterminating the entire Jewish nation. So he said, listen, good, one for one, but let's try it one more time. And this one, he's going to make it a little bit more complicated. He took out, um, he took a hundred and, uh, 354 pieces of paper and numbered them from one to 354. Cause a, according to, uh, in, um, the, the lunar calendar is, uh, 354 days. So he did that in one basket. He put that, you know, those 354 papers in that basket. Then he took another basket and he put to 12 months. So, you know, from all the Jewish Hebrew 12 months, he put it in on one side. And he's gonna, what he's gonna do is he's gonna pick out one number from here and then he's gonna pick out the other number from the other side. If they correspond, that means that it's that it's opportune. If they do, so for example, if he picks out the letter, uh, the number a hundred, and he picks out, let's say, um, you know, Adal, he knows that's not going to work out because the hundredth day of the year falls out in Tammuz and not Adal. So what he did was, is, is this is how he decided. So he went in there and he took out the number three hundred and thirty-seven, which is seventeen days before the end of the year, and then he went into the other to the other pile and he picked it out, and it turns out it was Adal. And he says, "This is beautiful. It's amazing because three hundred and the three hundred and thirty-seventh day of the year falls out in Adal." So it actually falls out on the 13th of Adal. So he decides, he says, this is great. This is amazing. So he says, let's go do some investigation on Adal itself. So he looks into Adal and he realizes that Moses died in Adal. He died in the 7th of Adal. So he says, this is really good. This is just getting better and better. He says, the, the, the luck for the Jews are not good on, on, uh, in Adal. This is when we're supposed to kill them. And then he started thinking about it. You know what? It would have been better if the number would have fallen down on the 7th of Adal. Why did it fall out on the 13th of Adal? 7th of Adal, exactly when Moses died, that's when it should have uh, fell out. What he also didn't know is Moses was also born on the 7th of Adal. One of the reasons that this was not common knowledge is because Moses was hidden for three months until, um, until which is, you know, Sivan, which is the time when the, um, when the, the Torah was given. So you, um, you know, so he has over here, and he's starting to think, why didn't it fall out on the seventh of of Adal? And then he thinks, no, it works out perfectly because when the Moses died, the Jewish people mourned the Moses, and that's a big merit for them because they mourned the great leader. So when did the mourning finish on the thirteenth of Adal? So this works out perfectly. Even the merit is not going to find it. And he did even more. What month is Adar? Adar is um, it's like now. Uh, it's like March, April time. February, yeah, March. yeah. So. <laughs> So, um, then he, then he goes and, and, um, and he looks, at, he looks in a little bit more and he realizes, you know, the plague of darkness that happened in the Egyptian exile? <coughs> it's actually the Egyptian redemption. It also happened in Adal. And that would made him very happy because in the plague of darkness, many Jewish people died. So he says, this is all working out so perfectly. He's like, you know, the stars are shining at me or whatever, you know, he, he would say. So, and he was also very happy because now it was Nisan. When he did this, it was Nisan, which means he would have almost a full year to plan out his attack. So he was very happy about this. So he decided that, you know, this is what how the plan's gonna be, but he's not gonna wait to work on the plan right away. He wants to work on it right away. So he can get it to the king, get the decree signed, and send out the decree um, uh to throughout the entire world. Uh so one of the one of the reasons that he wanted to do it so fast is that let the Jews know in a certain sense that something big is gonna happen. Because maybe they'll give up their religion, maybe they'll just get it, you know, which will be almost as good as killing them. So Haman decided now he has to sell this to the king. And there was no, be- no one better in 
in slandering in Lashon Ara than Haman that he would be, you know, so he was right up for the job. So he's good, he's, but he's trying to think of his tactic. How am I going to go and explain this to the king? Because, you know, exterminating an entire nation from a kingdom is not so simple to just go and, and, uh, you know, and, and present that. So he decided, you know, he was, he was thinking about it and he figures, you know, he was also nervous about the whole situation with Esther and Mordechai. So they, they, these two seem to be pretty close. Maybe Esther's Jewish, we don't know. So he's thinking about, I have to dance around this very, very carefully. So what he decided that he's going to do is he's going to say about this nation, and he's going to speak bad about this nation, but never call it specifically the Jewish people. And and he started, he literally started bad-mouthing them to, um, bad-mouthing us, to, to Ahasuerus. He said there's one nation, Fuzal, they're all throughout the entire kingdom, and they are... They're just, you know, they're, they're such weird people. They had the weirdest customs. They mutilate themselves with circumcision. Um, they dress differently. They will never intermarry with us. They will never assimilate with us. They like to stick out like a sore thumb. They just cause you problems. And one of the reasons that, that uh, Haman had to do this is because, you know, the Jewish people, you know, they, they had, you know... Um, you know, for sure they had, they were wealthy merchants. They had, you know, high, you know, powerful positions. They were, you know, wealthy, you know, uh, professionals. So, you know, it would harm the, it would harm the, the, the economy as well. So this is where Haman also went in and don't worry, I'll pay them for you. He was willing to pay for them 10,000 loaves of sulfur in order to exterminate the entire Jewish people. Now he never said that it was entire Jewish people, even though, you know, Achashverosh sort of figured it out, but they never actually uh, spoke about it. And Achashverosh was not very fond of the Jews as well, because he was told by, you know, one of the things that, that a king does, one of the, you know, when they, when they speak to the astrologers, the magician, they're always so curious to find out who is going to take their crown. Because they, if they could find out through astrology, through the future, seeing who's going to take their crown, so maybe it's going to be an enemy. Maybe if they see that it's their child, so it'll be like, okay, I'm, I'm good. I don't have to worry about the enemy. So it's sort of something that the kings were very into. Um, so he went over to his astrologers, his magicians, and he says, please, you got to help me out over here. Uh, who is going to take my crown? And they look in the stars, they look into their crystal balls, whatever they used, and it turns out they said, a Jew is going to take your crown. So since then, the king did not like the Jews at all. Because he's like, the Jews are somehow going to get... This also makes a little bit sense why you said, I'll give you up to half the kingdom. When he tells Esther, in a little bit we'll soon see. But I'm not going to give you um, the Bet HaMikdash. Because he had this fear against something is going to happen to the Jews. The reason that that uh, a Jew actually did take his crown, but it happened to be it was his son, Darius II. Because he didn't realize Estelle was Jewish. Estelle kept that hidden. So he didn't know this. So he had this this hatred towards the Jews at this point in time. So, he, the, so Haman... Um, Haman is, is selling this, you know, this idea of exterminating the Jewish people. And Haman is even saying, you don't even have to worry about it. Just, everybody hates them. Nobody likes them anyway. All you have to do is revoke any punishment that happens if somebody kills them. Uh, you know, everybody will do the job for you. And um, so so uh, um, Ahasuerus said, listen, he says, uh, you know, I have a feeling I know who you're talking about. And uh, but uh, if the feel, you know, if, if it is who I think it is. I have learned not to mess around with them. Their God is too strong. Look what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Look what happened to Belshazzar, which we spoke about last week, who just used the kelim of the Bet HaMikdash, and he died, and he lost his kingdom. He says, I heard it's not a good idea to mess around with these people. I, I really don't want to uh, uh, mess around with them. So Haman said, you know, come on, what are you talking about? These, you know, yeah, back then their God used to be strong. There used to be strong. You know, he had the temple. There. Look at it. You know, now he's destroyed. He's old. He's weak. You could, we could take him. And um, Ahasuerus was nervous, you know, was going back and forth. So Haman, you know, so Ahasuerus said, listen, let's ask, our, let's ask my advisors. So they call a meeting and they ask their advisors. All advisors that brought this question to, they said, not a good idea to exterminate the Jews. They went in and they said, you know, the world cannot endure without them. It says, our gods, the advisors said, are nothing compared to their gods. And uh, furthermore, they said, look at, look at the advisors, says, well, just look at history. All the kings that went against them are no longer. It says, it's not worth it to, um, 
to, to actually go against him. And one of the, one of the king's advisors says, yeah, look what happened to Paro. Who's Egypt now? Egypt is nothing. He says, uh, so, so, um, Haman got really angry. He's, you know, slammed it down. He's like, enough! And he started saying, he says, yeah, and he goes through his whole spiel. He's like, yeah, you know, with his forceful personality, he literally like, he's no longer, he's no longer relevant nowadays in age, says Haman for uh, the Jewish, uh, the Jewish God. We could definitely take him. Now with Haman's forceful personality and his ability to, you know, convince people, um, he was able to convince all, you know, they didn't want to, they didn't want to fight with him. They said, fine, you know what, you know, go, go with it. So, they all said, after the meeting, they all said they all agreed with Haman that we could exterminate the Jews. So Achashverosh still was a little bit nervous about it. And this is why he took every, uh, uh, you know, back then every advisor, every high government official had their own ring. Their own ring was a stamp. It was a stamp that they had certain level of clearance that they were able to do certain things. Now certain things they would be able to do, certain things you need the stamp of the king in order for approval, depending if it's a big thing. The king took off his ring, his stamp, and gave it to Haman and says you have full access to the entire kingdom. Anything that you want, you could do it. Now, one of the reasons that he did that is he didn't want to take responsibility. He wanted to, you know, play innocent, play dumb. Yeah, I don't know what's going on over here. You know, Haman is taking care of it. This way, if it's really bad, you know, he has to take the hit for it. So, so at this point, um, you know, the king, the king said, but one more thing, we got to do another lottery. And this is the third lottery. So he goes and he says to the, um, and he says to, to Haman, Achashverosh goes to him and he says, I'm gonna take two pieces of paper. One of them I'm gonna write silver, the other one I'm gonna write people. And you choose one. If you choose people, the people, the Jewish people are yours if you kill them. If you choose silver, you take back your money and you go home. So, um, Haman said fine. And they did the lottery and he picked out people. He got people. So Achashverosh says, you know, you know, go on with your plan. So, the king also furthermore said and says, and furthermore you can keep yourself out and need your money. Uh, and even more so if you need anything from my kingdom, it's at your dispense. You need more people, you need more money, it's at your dispense. So, uh, Haman got the okay. He didn't wait, you know, like next, you know, okay, now he just, he won the sale, you know, he's gonna go, go to sleep, take a nap. No. The, the, the important rule with anybody who is in business, anybody, if there's somebody that you, that you're able to close, you close right then and there. You don't wait till tomorrow and try to sell the person again tomorrow. If he's ready to sign, you sign right then and there. Haman got the okay, he put out the declaration right then and there. He sent it out, he shipped it off. And uh, right after he shipped it off, he quickly called the king and says, let's make a party, let's make, you know, what they wanted to eat, they wanted to drink. One of the reasons that he wanted to do that is he realized that if he gets a king drunk, you know, the king's going to think about it, what did I just do? You know, oh my gosh, I can't do that. And he's going to hear all the people complaining, the Jewish people are going to come, want to complain to the king. He says, better to get the king drunk. You know, let it happen, you know, like in, in 12 hours, he comes to and he's going to come to and he's like, what do I do? But at that point, it's, you know, it's going to be already all sent out throughout the entire... <laughs> yeah, sort of. So, um, so that's what he decided to do, and that's and and that's what happened. Now, the when he wrote the decree, when Haman wrote the decree, he wrote it. It was like a disgust, literally a disgusting decree. He literally said the Jewish people should be treated like vermin. They're they're garbage. They're nothing. They're not even human people. The children should be ripped out from their parents, from the mother's arms. They should be, you know, murdered all in one day. The men, women, and children all in one day. And we're not allowed to even bury them. Let them stay out and bodies rot. Like he really put it out to a certain, you know, level of disgust. But he didn't send this out to everybody. All the, the details of the information went only to the government heads, the top of the top of the governments in all the different countries. The information that he sent to the regular people was basically get ready for the 13th of Adar. Is something big is going to happen? Yeah, like stay tuned for more for more information. So uh, he he also published over there. He says that anybody who kills a Jew, you get to keep all his property. One of the reasons, usually, when you exterminate or you take, a, you know, war, this, you, you know, the king takes all the property for, for, for himself. But Haman wanted to give everybody the ability to take the properties that they, that the, that they, uh, that the, whoever they kill. 
we'll soon see how, yeah, I'm going to bring that up, how similar this whole thing happened. So the he said the Haman didn't want the Jewish people to be able to bribe them. He'll be like, listen, save us, spare us. You know, I got five million in the bank. You know, I got another two million in Switzerland. Uh, I'll give you everything. Just spare my life. And the, the you know, the, the, the people, the you know, whatever they were, Persians or whatever they are in the entire world, be like, you cannot bribe us. We own everything that you have because we kill you. So there was no way to bribe out. So this way, there was no way for the Jewish people to get out of it. Haman wanted no way out. So, um, so he sent over this decree throughout the entire, uh, the entire kingdom. In the, the Shushan, the capital, things used to tend to leak out of the castle. You know, information tends to leak out. And it leaked out that the Jewish people are going to be exterminated in 13th Adah, and everybody knew it. In the other far out kingdoms, very few people actually knew about it, only the high government officials. So, in, uh, um, in, in Shushan, it got, you know, it was, it was, people started panicking. And Mordechai heard this decree, like, almost right after it was, uh, you know, came out, and he was, he was very nervous. So what he did was, is that the first <laughs> child that he went to, he went over to the child, and he says, what are you learning today? Now, if you realize any stories in the time of the, the Tanakh, and the time even of the Gemara, they, in order, like, a, a, a way of, uh, of, like, a sort of, like, a prophecy, is you ask the child what he learned today, and what he tells you, it, it serves a little bit as, as a message from God. So he go, Mordechai goes over to the first child, and tells him, and he tells him, um, what, what pasuk, what verse did you study today? So the child quoted him a pasuk from Proverbs chapter 3 verse 25. And it says, be not afraid of the sudden terror. The destruction of the wicked will come. So, you know, Mordechai is saying, I like the way that sounds. Alright, that's good. So, you know, let's ask one more child. He goes over to another child, asking the same question. What did you learn today? Give me the, the pasuk that you learned today. <laughs> so he quotes him a pasuk from Isaiah chapter 8 verse 10. And it's written, make your plans, they will not succeed. Speak all you want, nothing will come of it, for God is with us. Well, I was like, two for two. All right. This is looking good. He goes, I said, you know, one more child. He goes over to the third child and he says, what did you learn today? So the child quoted him Pasuk from, from Isaiah chapter 46, verse 4. And he says, when you are old, I will be the same. When you turn white, I will sustain you. I made you and I will take care of you. I will sustain you and rescue you. Mordechai says, nothing to worry about. Three for three, we're good. So he's smiling, he's happy. And Haman is watching this whole thing happen. And he sees all of a sudden, Mordechai was very nervous at one point. And now he speaks to the three kids, all of a sudden he smiles. So, you know, Haman runs up to him and he says, uh, what did the kids uh, tell you? So Mordechai said, the kids told me I don't have anything to worry about. Your dumb plan that you just, uh, you know, <laughs> secretly made. So Haman, Haman gets really angry. He says, the kids are going to be the first ones to go. Mordechai went and he was, he was very, uh, you know, even though this was good news, he still, there was still a decree. There was still a decree written about this, and he was still very nervous about it. And what, what do you do if you have a bad decree written against you? There's only one thing that you can do, and that's tshuva. He started, you, you, we gotta do tshuva. We got, even though we have the ability to go to, to overturn it, look at, you know, what the three children, they gave us all good, uh, reports, but at the same time, we have to do what we have to do. So he put on a sackcloth, he teared his cloth like a, like a, his clothing like a mourner, and he started, he, and he went out to the Jewish people and started, you know, did you guys hear what happened? This is what happened. So this is a decree that just came out that all Jews are gonna be exterminated in, by, by the 13th of Adar. And the entire Jewish kingdom went into panic. Everybody was just where they were, they were going, it was, it was going, it was going crazy. They even went to the Gentile, their, their Gentile neighbors, and they says, please, you know, we'll be your slaves. Just take us in. And similar to what happened in the Holocaust. And the, the, the Gentile slave says, we can't. Part of, we heard part of the, procl- the, the decree is, is that if we are harboring any Jewish people, we get killed also. The, in the far out provinces in the kingdom, the king was, um, you know, the king wasn't able to hold as much control as he had in the capital. And the, when, when this came out, the, 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 the Gentiles actually started killing some Jews. And there were Jewish people that were actually being buried in far out kingdoms because of this decree already. So, 
um, Estelle hears this whole commotion about this Jewish people, something's going on. So she sends for Mordechai to come in, and he wants, she wanted to speak to, uh, to Mordechai. So, um, Mordechai was able to go only till the king's gate. One of the reasons that he can't go, uh, uh, if he, one of the reasons he didn't, he, he couldn't go in is because he was wearing a sackcloth. He was wearing a sackcloth, he was wearing ashes, he was ripped, his clothing were ripped as he was, he was mourning, and he promised, he says, I'm not gonna take this off until the Jewish people are saved. And you're, as advisor or anybody, you're not allowed to go in a mourning garment, uh, mourning, you know, garb into the palace, because then it's a bad omen for the king. It's like you're waiting for the king to die. You're actually mourning for the king. So he was only able to go to the king's gate, um, to the outskirts of the city. So um, now Estelle wanted you know, to get some information from Mordechai. So she couldn't you know, speak to him. And so she decided she's gonna, they're going to do it through a messenger. So they took a, they, she didn't take one of her servants because it would look suspicious. You know, her servants going back and forth, Mordechai, something fishy is going on over here. So she took, she took Hatach. Hatach was an advisor to the king. Who, you know, according to many opinions, he was none other than Daniel, the prophet. And um, he went, and he um, he was the one who was the in-between messenger. Now, he didn't go like he went to Mordechai and went to Esther. He sort of, you know, just went in the streets and just, by chance, meet up with Mordechai. And they were just talking about the thing. So it doesn't look like, you know, he went straight to Mordechai. It was like taking a stroll. And then, you know, he passes by Mordechai and says, how's your day going? Good, sir. You know, and then they just speak. And then I'll be like, you know, then they slip in the whatever the, 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 that, uh, the message was going back and forth to Mordechai and Estelle. Why would he want to help? Daniel, he was Jew. Oh. Okay. Yeah. So um, he went and um, and Mordechai sends a message to Estelle, and he says, "It's the time has come that you have to reveal yourself to the king. To the king, tell him who you are and start begging. First, beg for yourself, as you're a Jew and you're part of the decree, and secondly, beg for the, the entire Jewish uh, uh, kingdom." So Estelle said, "You know." I would really love to, um, but I, I can't just go in. You can't, you know, there's, there's, and she gave three reasons why I can't just walk into the king and start begging it. First of all, there is a law that was put in by Haman that you cannot go into the king's, uh, you know, into the king's room unless you get summoned either by Haman or by the king. And if you go when you're not summoned, then your, 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 you know, your punishment, your penalty is death. And unless, you know, the king had a scepter, and he would stick out the scepter, if you came in and he, and he stuck out the scepter, you touch the scepter, and then you're, you're saved. But if he doesn't, then you're, it's off with your head. She says, listen, I, you know, I can't just walk in, I'm gonna be killed. What help am I if I'm dead? She goes, that's what she tells, Estelle tells to, to uh, Mordechai. Secondly, she said, he says, let's say I go in, and, you know, if I go in, you know, the king might be upset at me. Let's say he doesn't kill me. He, let's say he'll demote me. Who knows what he'll do to me? Of what help then I'll be then? And as a third reason, it says, it's, it, the, the decree's in a year. He says, we have time. Let, let us wait until the king calls me in. And then it's not a life risk for me. And I will actually be able to help whatever I can possibly help. And uh, furthermore, hopefully the Jews will do tshuva. And, you know, God will, will change this decree, uh, you know, by that. So um, so that's what she sent to Mordechai. And Mordechai sends her back through, you know, Hatach. He says, uh, listen, um, you know, that's not going to happen. You can't, we cannot wait. We, even though the decree says Jews are already, Jews are giving up on the religion now. They're thinking that's not what's going to, you know, we're, we're not going to be able to stay as Jewish. Let's try to, you know, blend in as a non-Jew, a Gentile. There are many Jews that are dying. You cannot wait. You have to go right now. So Estelle said back, said, listen, I'm not, you know, if, if I knew I had the ability to do something, my life means nothing to me if I could save the entire Jewish kingdom. It's not because I'm scared. It's because I think logically it might not be the best thing to do right now. Mordechai sends her back. He says, it's not about logic at any point. It's what we have to do. And this is what we have to do right now. So <coughs> she says, fine, I'll do it. 
And at, uh, uh, there was one last message that went through, and she says to um, she says to Mordechai, says, "I'll do it, but you have to do something for me. Gather the entire Jewish nation and let them." One of the things that she said is, "Gather them," which means that beforehand, Haman said they're all separated. They're all throughout the entire kingdom. They're all not unified. They don't know unity. There's different communities that there, there was everywhere. So unify them. They're one community now. And then fast and pray for me for three days. And uh, one of the reasons she said three days is, first of all, she said, I will also fast and with my servants for three days for the three sins that that uh, um, that I need repentance for. Number one is I'm going to be going to Achashverosh. Now I have to willingly eat his, his non-kosher food. Number two, I'm going to have to submit to him willingly until this time she was uh, reluctant, uh, you know, a reluctant wife. And number three is is for um, is for uh, and I have to give you a little bit of uh, introduction to this. Is, Haman noticed that Hatach or Daniel is going back and forth with Haman. He's like something fishy is going on over here. He says I don't like the way this this looks. You know, he's going talking to Mordechai and then he's talking to Estelle and he and he caught something is going on. So he had Hatach killed. He had Daniel killed. And uh, so Estelle said she feels partially responsible for the, for Daniel's death, and she wants atonement for that as well, and that's the third reason that she wants to fast for the, thir- for the three days. So that's what they did. Mordechai went and he gathered, entire, he gathered 12,000 uh, Kohanim. And they each took Chofar, they each took a you know, Sefer Torah, and they blew it in the street, and they each literally, they did Chuba, like, like full-on, 100% Chuba. They all cried, they begged, they wept, they, they broke the heavens with, with uh, the tears for three days. There's one opinion that said they actually fasted for three days, and there's another opinion that says it's, not, it's very hard to fast for three <laughs> days, you know, it's very difficult. So rather what it means is they fasted Monday, Thursday, Monday. So, the, um, after the three days... After the three days uh, was over, they dis, um, she she went and she uh, put on she put on all her, her back to her princess's uh, uniform, whatever you call it, robes, and um, she went into the she wanted to go to the, to the king. So she took her two mates. She took three maid servants, one on each side, and one holding the what is it called the tail, the veil, the the train. The train thank you. <laughs> all right, the train. So uh, I spoke about this by the guy, the guys guys. They were like, oh, we have no idea what you're talking about. I'm like, immediately they're holding something. All right, so they they were holding the train. Um, train like a like <coughs> like choo choo choo. Oh, okay, okay, fine. All right, whatever. Doesn't matter. Couldn't care less, but it's just weird. Okay, couldn't, <laughs> couldn't find out another word to use. Uh, uh, okay, whatever it is. All right. Anyways, so one was holding the train. The other two are on the sides. And, um, you know, so once you stepped foot into the king's, uh, you know, the palace, into his inner room, it was filled with idols. And at, before this time, she reached the, the level of Wacha Kodesh. She, she literally reached the level of Wacha Kodesh because she was fasting. She was praying for three days. And when she came into the room, all of a sudden the idols there, so the Wacha Kodesh left her. This is why one of the prayers that we know, she said, was, Keli, Keli, Lama Azaftani. God, why did you forsake him? Why did you leave me? Um, so she's going over there, and the king's room is over there, and obviously it's very heavily guarded. And uh, the question is, how did she get in now? Because she wasn't summoned. So she, the, the trick that she played is, that, you know, if let's say you want to go into a place that you're not supposed to be in. If you walk in like you own the place and you belong there, people get confused and they're not sure, you know, should you be, what's going on over here? You know, yeah, are you allowed to be here? And before they know, you're already inside. So she decided she's... Full force. She went on full. She didn't ask permission in the gate, you know, because here, please let the king know that I'm here to see him. Uh, I have a 12 o'clock appointment. She did nothing that. She went barred straight in. And she had her, she had all her or servants on the side, so she looked majestic. She had, you know, one holding that. And she walked in like she, and the guards were like looking at them and they were like, you know, she's not on the list. You know, she didn't, you know, and she's, and she just like walks in. Before she knows it, she walks in past by all the gates, every single door, and she's standing right in front of the king. She's standing right in front of the king, and the king looks at her and he starts boiling up in anger. And he's like, I cannot believe these women. I don't understand these women. The first one, Vashti, I tried to get her to come so many times, and she didn't want to come. 
So I had her killed because she didn't come when I asked her to come. Now this woman is coming when I don't want to ask her to come. How ironic that she's going to die the exact opposite way. So he did not... Meanwhile, they're, they're doing like the staring contest because Estelle is just waiting for the scepter to come out so she could, you know, you know, tap that, you know, tap that trio, you know, button over there that she's safe. <laughs> so, so she's going over there and she's like very nervous. She's like, you know, it's not happening. And the king looks away from her. Sort of signal. And the, the guards were like, like, do we kill her? She's the queen. I, I don't know what to do. They were all frozen. And, and uh, at this point in time, an angel came. Ahasuerus was looking away. The angel came, slapped Ahasuerus in his face, and his head like just jerked onto the other side. And he was just staring at Estelle. And he was staring at her, um, and, you know, her beauty sort of calmed him down. And, you know, so he sort of, you know, like, you know, he, he relaxed himself. And Estelle, you know, they stood, you know, frozen for a little bit. And then Ahasuerus went and he stuck out a scepter. And she, um, and, you know, she, you know, whatever. She, she was, she was safe. So, the, the king goes over to her and he says, um, he says, you know, why did you put yourself in so much jeopardy to come to me right now? You know, like, you risked your life to come to me. What is it that you want? You're the queen. You can have anything that you want. Do you need money? Do you need to save something? What is it that you need? Anything that you want, you can have. He says, except for one thing, I'm not going to rebuild the Jewish temple. So she freezes for a second. He says, you know, why did, why did he, why did he tell me the Jewish temple? He doesn't know that I'm Jewish. Does he think that I'm Jewish? Maybe now it's not a good time to, you know, to give him the request. You know, she wanted to go in right then and there. Tell him, help, please. You gotta save me. I'm Jew. You gotta help my Jew. So she was, you know, that threw her off. Like, why, why is he speaking about the Jewish temple? Um, and he told, he, Ahasuerus told, I'll give you up to half the kingdom, but I'm not going to rebuild the Jewish temple. So she's decided now is not an opportune time. So she came over there and she says, listen, the reason why I'm coming is I wanted to invite the king. And then she threw and Haman to a party that I'm going to make for them. So <clears throat> the, um, she's thinking, so listen, I'll get him to a party and drink him some wine. You know how men are when they drink. Be able, the woman to be able to take the credit card and swipe as much as she, as she needs if she does the right thing. So, and then she says, let me invite, let me invite Haman also. Maybe I'll get, uh, you know, maybe I'll get some suspicion rising against them, you know, to see, the, uh, you know, to get, you know, get the king a little bit jealous um, because of how much power that he gave for, for Haman. Haman literally was a second to the king. So, and then she goes, she says, listen, I have to be very grateful for Haman. I never actually thanked him because of him, because he convinced Vashti to be killed. He convinced that the king should find somebody else. So I'm only queen, only thanks to him. So I want to make a party for, you know, and for Haman. I want, I need to, I need to, I need to thank him. So... The king was, you know, got thrown off guard. He says, why is she making a party for me and Haman? You know, no husband ever wants to hear, like, his wife come, hey, I'm making a party for you, and don't forget, make sure you bring your best friend. But what do you want my best friend? You know, that's very weird. Like, what's going on over here? So, you know, his, his man mind starts playing. He's like, okay, you know, why, why does she want that? And, um, and then he gets very upset. He's like, he's like, what, does the queen think that she has to listen to Haman? So the king goes and he sends a, dec- uh, a decree and he says, you make sure that tell Haman that he has to come to this party, not because I said so, but because the queen said so. Then make sure that he also knows that he also has to listen to the queen. So um, they went, uh, they made the party and she made the party. She put wine and food and um, they all uh, ate at that party, except for Estelle. She wasn't, you know, she said that she's not feeling well, but really she was fasting. So... So Akash goes over to her and he says, you know, after the end of the party, he's like, so tell me, you didn't do this for nothing. You didn't risk your life, make a whole party for nothing. What is it that you want? I know there's something that you want. No, a man would be like, okay, how much is, you know, when a woman goes over to her husband, hey, honey, um, can we talk? So what is the guy, how much is it going to cost me? You know, like, give me the number. <laughs> so Akash is like, what is it going to cost me? What is it that you want? So, and he says, anything that you want, you can have. So she says, listen, all I want, I wasn't able to enjoy the party today, and you know, I wasn't feeling so well, please come for another party that I'm going to make for both of you tomorrow. <laughs> so, um, and, uh, and she threw in a little bonus. She says, oh, tomorrow, I'm going to tell you what's my birthplace, what's my origin. You know, a little surprise. The king's like, ooh, you know, I want, I've been trying this for nine years to figure out where you come from. 
All right. So, um, but now the king's jealousy even, you know, got, she's like, she thanked Haman already. So why does she need Haman the next day already again? She's like, maybe there's something, you know, what's with this party that's inviting Haman? He didn't, he didn't like the way that uh, this was, uh, this was going on. So, and he started thinking, like, maybe there's something going on between them. Maybe they're in cahoots. Maybe they're trying to plan something. So meanwhile, uh, the king's mind is going on this. And Achash, and Haman is leaving. He left. This is right after the first party. So right after the first party finished, she got invited for another party. And Haman leaves. Haman leaves. When he first came to the party, he was very nervous about the party. He was thinking, he's like, it doesn't make any sense. I just put out a decree for the Jewish people to, to get killed. Shortly after that, all of a sudden, Esther risks her life and invites me and more. Something's fishy over here. She probably wants something. So Aman was in his, like, you know, in his very perceptive way. He was trying to figure out what's Estelle's plan also. It's like, why, what's going on over here? And after she left, after he left the, the party and he realized that she wants him to come again for another party, he realized he doesn't have to be afraid from it. So she has nothing to do with the Jewish people. It's just, you know, and his, his man brain starts thinking and he's like, you know what? No man, no woman can resist Haman. She just, you know, she wants a piece of Haman. You know, that's the only biological explanation that we can have for this. And he's, he's starting to think, you know, she's not my enemy. The Midrashim says it's unbelievable. She's fond of me. She, she, you know, she actually likes me. So, um, so, so he's in the best mood. You know, he thinks that, you know, the queen likes him and, you know, and, and, you know, he's getting the best honors. So he's walking out of the palace in the top of spirits, you know, dancing the way down the streets until he sees Mordechai sitting at the king's gate. And then Mordechai is sitting over there. They do that stare battle and he's not bad. He's bowed, bowed down and Mordechai and Haman just gets, he's like, oh, this guy, you know, like, oh, you know, it's like blood pressure raises up, you know, he starts getting all red. And he's like, I can't, I cannot wait a year to destroy this human being. He's like, I'm going to go, I'm going to kill him earlier. And he says, listen, instead of being rash, let me discuss it with my wife, Zerash, see what she says, and my advisors. So, the, you know, he was boiling, he came home, you know, he calls over his, his advisors, they all sit down, and, and they're like, um, he tells him, Haman tells him, all, everything that I have, everything that I have, I have wealth, I have power, I have money, I have, I have you know, I have literally everything. Every, I'm a second to the king, all this is not worth it to me, because there's one guy who's not bowing down to me. One guy is not bowing down to me. Everything is not worth it for me. So <clears throat> he goes and, and he's starting to think. He says, I want to kill him. I want to kill I know he's going to be dead in a year, but I want to kill him earlier. So Zelosh says, listen, you're, you're second to the king. You're the most powerful man. Why should this one, one life bother you? You know, like what you should do is erect a 50 cubit tall pole in our, in our grounds. And then what you'll do is, is tomorrow go over to Akashverosh. So go as if you're speaking in the morning. Go as if you're speaking about regular government uh, business, and then be like, "Hey, listen, there's one. Uh, this one guy's just bugging me out. They just want to, you know, hang him. You know, that's fine, right? You know, like sort of like as a matter of fact, there's one guy I'm just gonna hang. You know, I hope that's okay. And back then, like murdering people wasn't like you know the you know the big taboo as it is uh, today. They used to you know, sacrifice people to, you know, idols and who knows what. So he says, listen, I, I, I want to just get rid of this one guy. And she said, you speak to him. As a matter of fact, he'll do it for you. You'll hang him up on this 50 cubit, uh, you know, high pole. This way, when you're eating, when you're by the, by the, by the palace tonight, that night, you know, you know, in the party with Esther and Achashverosh, you could go and you could watch Mordechai sway in the wind by his neck and you'll feel happy. You'll enjoy yourself at the party. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, so Haman started thinking about this, be like, excellent idea. <clears throat> he went and he started building this, this guy. But then he didn't stop over there. He's like, no, 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 I'm gonna make, this is gonna be big. He says, then not, I'm not gonna stop with, with Mordechai. I'm gonna also go and I'm gonna also assassinate the king and the queen. Mordechai, I'm gonna assassinate Achashverosh and Estelle. And then he says, I have connection, yeah. I, 
But whatever. Maybe he had bipolar. Who knows? So um, he goes and he says, "I am going to go and kill them because I have strong connections to the king to the king of Greece, and you know maybe we can make it. You know, I'll take over here. You know, we'll we'll be able to to actually, and then I'll you know be able to uh, um, you know become king or very high. You know, be very very uh, heavily rewarded. So." He goes and he is ecstatic with his plan. He's, he's, you know, he's in heaven. And so he's walking in the street. Go take one look at Mordechai before he's going to kill him the next morning. And he sees Mordechai over there and he's teaching a bunch of uh, children. He's teaching and they're praying. The children are fasting. And Haman goes and he's like, enough with this. He's like, all the children, he tells the guards, round them up, put them in the prison. And he says, these kids are also going to die. I said they're going to die first, they're going to die first. So these kids were fasting, they were praying for the Jewish people, and they were in they were in prison. So the mothers came to visit them in prison, and what does a Jewish mother always want for their child? To eat, right? You could tell your mother, you're going to New Jersey, she'll be like, take 17,000 sandwiches. <laughs> I'll be like, I'm just crossing a bridge. I'll be like, you don't know how much traffic is going to be. My baby is not going to go hungry. You know, and he's like, here's two shopping bags full of uh, food. And, uh, you know... You go, you go traveling, especially you go to Israel. You go wherever it is. You go a long flight. A Jewish mother prepares the whole thing. There's kosher food on the plate. What happens if there's none? What happens? Twelve hours. So, so, um, so she, they go to the children and they say, "Eat, my dear children, eat." And they said, "You're going to die tomorrow." Well, you know, eat. So the children said, "We're not. We're going to. We're with Mordechai till the end. We're fasting. We'll die fasting." And it says in the Midrashim says down that the reason why the Jewish decree was revoked was in merit of these children's prayers. These are the children that were able to revoke the the prayers. Oh wow, it's getting late. Okay, let's wrap. Let's uh, a few more minutes will be done. Okay, so the um, that night Achashverosh goes to sleep, and he goes to sleep, and he has a very very vivid dream. And in his dream, he has a, he has a dream that Haman is coming over there, and he's walking up to him, removing the king's crown, and then and his royal robes, and then grabbing a sword as if to kill the king. And then the king hears in the dream, he hears, uh, you know, Ingrate, Ingrate, get up and repay your benefactor. And he wakes up in a cold sweat. He's like, what was that? That was a crazy dream. And he thinks for a second, it's like, his head is spinning. He says, did I get drugged tonight? Like, you know, I didn't, never had this type of dream before. So he goes to advisors and, and you know, he tells them what happened. He says, listen, let it, we'll go check Haman. Haman ate the same things as you. He drank the same things as you. Let's see if he's having the same insomnia, same issues as you. So they go, they send somebody quickly to check Haman. See, Haman's whistling in the street. He's the happiest guy. He's like, no, this, it's definitely not poison because this guy, you know, he's definitely in a good mood. So, um, so he's, you know, so the, the Achashvosh is sitting there. This dream is really bothering him. He tell, you know, and, he, and he's trying to think, you know, what is going on over here? What is going on with this dream? Who am I angry? Who didn't I pay back? And what is with this Haman? Is he really trying to go after me? Is he really trying to take my crown? So, um, he goes and, and the king calls, um, and then, and then he starts thinking about Estelle again. He's like, what's going on with Estelle and Haman? He's still, you know, that was still in his mind. He says, why is he, she keep on inviting him into the meal? Is it, are they trying to assassinate me? Maybe there's an assassination attempt. And the king goes, no, there's no way. He says, everybody knows if somebody attempts to assassinate the king, they will get crazy reward if they, if they, uh, if they bring it to my attention. Um, so there would be no way that it, this will go unheard of. And I would for sure would have heard about this. And then he starts thinking, he said, wait a minute, but maybe somebody told me once that I was going to be assassinated, saved my life, and I never repaid him. So he calls over for his book of records. Right? The king had a book of records, and he wrote in it everything good that somebody had, was, was done to him and what he paid him back. Now, it's not like a diary, you know, like a 16-year-old, like you know, with his feathered pencil, and he's like, dear diary, Haman was mean today. <laughs> Mordechai was so nice. XO, 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 XO. You know, it wasn't like he's not like sitting there and writing his little, you know, notes to himself. And in fact, this is something that's so important that we can learn from, from Ahasuerus. We can learn from it because Ahasuerus 
you know, if somebody did him a favor, he wrote it down. This is, we have to, we have to think like that. We have to literally think, there are books that came out, by the way, that it's literally a book that is basically empty. And every day you write who you're thankful for. And then you review it at the end of the year, say, okay, listen, I want to thank you, you know, at the end of the year for X, Y, and Z they did. It's a very big, is what he had. So, and, and it's, it just shows how, what a level, cause if you, if you do something for a king, the king makes sure that you get rewarded, duly rewarded for it. So, he calls, you know, he wasn't able to sleep, he had insomnia, he calls one of his, uh, you know, his servants, his, his advisor and says, bring me the book of, uh, um, the, the, you know, the Sefer Zikonot, bring me, bring me this book of records and start reading it to me. <laughs> One of, this is what, this was actually a custom. When the king couldn't sleep, they would read him this boring book, and you know, all this boring information just would drift him off to sleep. <laughs> so, he's sitting over there, and we're gonna finish in like uh, five minutes or so, or a little bit less. So he's sitting over there, and he is, uh, reading, they're reading to him this book, and you know, he's slowly, you know, like dozing, he's like, you know, he's reading the uh, lullabies to Achashverosh, and he's sitting there, and he's dozing off, and suddenly they get to the point of Big Son and Sarish, which is the attempted assassination that uh, was was held, uh, you know, and was saved by Mordechai and, es- and Estel. So suddenly, he feels like he just wakes up. Like, out of the blue, like, his heart starts pounding. You know, like, when you're almost there, you're almost sleeping, and then, like, your brain goes, ah, yeah, you're not going to sleep for another four hours. Yeah. <laughs> Let's think about all your insecurities right now. You know, and then you're like, oh, man, you know, and then you're sitting up there, you're up for, like, another four hours. So that's what basically going on in, ha- in Haman's head. He's going over there, he's sitting over there, and then all of a sudden, he's falling asleep, and then, you know, these things, thoughts pop into his head, and, he's, well, and he hears what's going on. He hears about Big Sun and Sarah. And as the scribe is reading it, um, the advisor, it's reading that, you know, he, th- that, uh, you know, Big Son of Sarah, attempted assassination, and it was saved through Mordechai. And Nachashvel says, oh, read that, read that back one second. And they were like, you know, Big Son of Sarah, and it was, the assassination attempt was saved with Mordechai. He's like, Mordechai? I never knew Mordechai was attached to this picture. Because I never knew that he saved me. Because back then, Mordechai told Estel, don't tell Ahasuerus that it was in my name. He wanted it in your name. He wanted to make sure that it was only in Esther's name. Estel went, and even though she said it in her name, but she wrote it in the book of scribes that it was under Mordechai. So Ahasuerus goes to the scribe and says, what did we do for Mordechai? And, you know, the scribes are looking at it and be like, to be honest, we, we didn't do nothing to him. I mean, you know, you promoted him, but not, you know, you promoted him not because, you know, he saved your life, but because of the recommendation of Estelle. And he's like, yeah, yeah, No, he said, we didn't do it. So he's like, you know what? Maybe this is the meaning of my dream. I was called ingrate, ingrate, because I didn't pay back somebody that was, you know, this all makes sense now. Maybe there is assassination attempt against me, and no one's telling me because they figure, what's the point? They're not, I'm not gonna, they're not gonna get rewarded. Tomorrow on the morning, we're gonna honor, honor Mordechai. So, and then he starts thinking, about, uh, again, about, uh, um, you know, Haman, and what's his plan. So again, he, you know, now he's, he's calmer that he has this plan that he's gonna honor Mordechai and, you know, sort of a meaning for his dream, and he falls asleep again. He falls asleep again, and again, he has the same dream with Haman. Haman coming over and taking the crown, taking off his royal robes, taking out the sword of Tikkun, and he wakes up again. And he's like, what is the meaning of this dream? What is Haman after? He says, maybe this is a sign. So at that point in time, you know, Haman, this was early, early in the morning. This was before the sun comes up. And Haman was supposed to go the next morning and ask for permission to hang and kill Mordechai. However, Haman said, you know, he was impatient. He's like, no, 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 you know, it's like one of the, you know, like he needed his uh, addict, you know, I was like, I need, the, I need the drugs, I need the stuff right now. He's like, I need to kill Mordechai right now, I can't wait until tomorrow. And he's going, and he says, uh, and he goes and he says, I'm not waiting till the morning, let me go to the, to the palace in the earlier hours of the morning. So he goes in, Alice is quiet, you know, sitting over there, and, um, and suddenly, you know, the king hears somebody is outside. Somebody, you know, Haman knocked on the door. So the king says, who's, who's outside? So, um, the, the, you know, the servants look, I don't know how they look, they looked in the camera, and they said, uh, they said it's, uh, it's, it's Haman. 
So the servant says, says you don't need any, any professional dream interpreter. God's sending you the interpretation yourself. It's Haman. He's obviously after something. You had two dreams. And what's he doing so early in the morning over here? No one comes here a year so early. He usually, he actually always comes in late. Shows us his value. He always shows up, like rolls in the, you know, to work at 11 o'clock, you know, 12 o'clock. You know, shows that, yeah, I'm the boss. I don't have to, you know. What is he doing way before everybody even wakes up? He's coming in here. He's up to no good. So, so, um, so, so the king is thinking, he says, you know what? You're right. He says, um, all right. Let's do it like this. Let's, this is the plan. Don't let him come in. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. Let's see what he's going to let him run around. Let's see what's going to happen. Bezat <coughs> Hashem will continue next week. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.